And this morning, my message is for you to capture the same heart of Mombi that, that thinks about Jesus and would say in our heart, He lives! He lives! He lives! This morning, I want for you to relive the joys of the reality of Jesus Christ risen from the dead. It's an amazing thing we believe, is it not? I mean, we believe that, that God came into the flesh to live among us. And they live a perfectly sinless life. He went about accomplishing great deeds, doing many miracles, teaching wondrous things from His mouth. And yet, as wonderful as He was, He died as a criminal upon the cross. Not for sins that He had done, but because of envy from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And He died. We believe that Jesus really died. He didn't just almost die. He didn't swoon, as some say. He didn't faint. No, He really died. He was buried in a tomb. On the third day, He rose again from the dead. And He rose so that we too might have life in Him. His death was the sacrifice needed to forgive our sins. And now His resurrection was the first fruits of life from the dead. That's what we believe. That we are too raised from the dead ever to live with Jesus by faith in Him. Now, it's easy to lose the marvels of this. I mean, even as Darren alluded to, this is a story that we've read, that many of us read for uh, many, many years. I know I'm 44 now and I've probably heard this story 44 years. Going to church, going to church on Easter, listening again to Jesus having been risen from the dead. Am I okay here? How about if I just do this? How about I do this? Am I okay? You just turn me off there. That's fine. But we hear so often we can lose the marvels of it which, in some sense, we should hear it so often. It is the foundation of our faith, right? Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, verse 1, verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. However, it's easy for us to lose this marvels because we hear it so often. You know, they say of novels, what, never read the last page first because you ruin it for yourself. And even as we're reading The Marvelous Land of Oz, I have no idea how it's going to end. I've not been flipping to the packed page to read how it ends. I don't know how it ends. And so also with novels, we're not to read the last page. Otherwise, it's spoiled for us. But with the resurrection, we've read the last page. And we know how the resurrection turns out to the end of the story. We, we, we know the end so we can easily miss the joy well, this morning, I want for you to try to, to think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, hearing it as if hearing it for the first time. So, hear it as if you've never heard it before. And so, to do that, as we go through Luke 24, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I want us to kind of engage with the actors of the story, engage with those people of history who saw Jesus risen from the dead and everything that they encountered and felt. So, we're going to start here in verse 1 of Luke 24 with looking at the empty tomb. Because that's what these women encounter. We read here, verse 1, The first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. Now that they, if you look down to verse 10, are identified here as Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. They had been to the crucifixion and had seen everything that took place. Back in chapter 23, we can see there in verse 49, that his acquaintances and all the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance seeing these things. They were watching Jesus upon the cross, watching him die. 
and they saw him die. And then after he died, they, they watched him being taken down from the cross, according to verse 55. They saw the tomb and even they saw exactly where it was that he was laid. The women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And when they saw where he was buried, then they went, as verse 56 says, and prepared the spices and perfumes. Now, in Israel during those days, they didn't embalm bodies like they did in ancient Egypt, like we do today. Instead, what they did is smothered them with spices so as to keep the smell of the decaying body um, not so bad. And the, the ritual in Israel was to, to take the body and to anoint it with spice so it doesn't smell bad, but let it decay and then come back in a year and take the bones out and put it in an ossuary and then formally bury the bones a year later. And this wasn't an easy task. I mean, when the, the body was first laid in the tomb, it says in John chapter 19, verse 39, they had a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloe. A hundred pounds of spices. So we don't know how many spices how much spices these ladies were returning with, with perfumes. But don't just think it's a little spice jar and a little little jar. It's probably a lot that they're bringing there to the tomb so they can anoint the body, so they can prepare it properly for burial. Now, also notice they didn't come back the next day because the next day was the Sabbath. So they waited a day and this was Sunday morning, early Sunday morning. As soon as it broke, that's what it says there, at early dawn. They came to the tomb, but alas, all their preparations with all their spices and all their perfumes went to naught. They were in vain because we read in verse two, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, now I want you to think about what's going on in their minds. They, they come to anoint the body in the grave and that's where their whole mind was. There's this body that we need to get these spices on. And we need to get these perfumes on. And, and even Mark's Gospel tells us they were walking along the way. They had in their mind just the, the difficulty of how they're going to move that stone away. I mean, it is so big, we've got to move it. And just us three ladies, I'm not sure we're strong enough to move it. Maybe the gardener will be there. I'm not exactly sure. But when they arrived there in the garden or in the, the tomb where it was, they found the stone rolled away and the tomb empty. Now, they were not prepared for this. And it says in verse 4 that they were perplexed. Look at verse 4. While they were perplexed about this. Now, I remember having this feeling years ago. Uh, before Vaughn and I were married, I was going to seminary in California and I was ministering down at campus at UCLA where Vaughn was going to school. And I would drive down there. It was about a 30-minute drive from where I lived. And I, I had my spots where I drive. Parking there in Westwood is a nightmare. And so I figured the spots where I was going to park. And I figured, well, one day we had an early morning meeting. I think we started about 6 o'clock in the morning. And so that meant leaving about 5 o'clock in the morning and going and finding a parked spot. I parked in kind of my, my usual spot where I normally do, where after 6 o'clock at night, you can park there the rest of the night. And from 4 to 6, you know, it's a problem, but after that you can. And so I went ahead and parked there and went to my meeting, had a time of ministry with some men there, and then came back and I'm walking back and what I find, kids? You know what? I didn't find anything. The street was clean and, and I had no car there. And I was perplexed. And I remember just that feeling of, wait a minute, did I park here? Or maybe I parked somewhere else. And kind of thinking, I kind of walked up and, oh, I think I really parked here. I think this is where it was. And I was trying to figure out, and then, I, oh man, my car was stolen. 
is my thought. I was just thinking that that thought coming through my mind, and and then and then I was thinking about it. And I said no, and then I looked at the sign, and it was like no parking, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. And I went, oh, <laughs> you knucklehead. What in the world are you doing? So I had to find it out and try to chase it down. But it took me for a while. I just was, was kind of stunned there for a while. And I think that's where these women were. They were there. They were ready for the body. They knew the body was in the tomb, but they were, they were stunned, perplexed. They didn't know what happened. Well, behold, two men, it says in verse 4, suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. All right, from Matthew's account, which Darren read, we know that these men were angels, actually. That's why their, their clothing was dazzling, appearing as men, though. And as the women, verse 5, were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. It's interesting, I find that this thought didn't cross their mind. They were so focused on the body and, and getting that stone rolled away that when they didn't see the body, they, they weren't thinking about the resurrection at all, even though Jesus had plainly told them what would take place. You know, it's, it's a little bit like when I lost my car. I mean, that sign is the thing that brought me to reality, is that from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m., that's when the cars would be towed. And... Um, I think also for these, it was the teacher, though, who came and taught them and said, OK, don't you remember what Jesus said? I mean, think about it. Remember what Jesus said? He said the same thing shortly after Peter had acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus said the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. And it was so clear. You remember that that Peter said, may it never be, Lord, I don't want you to die. He didn't hear the being raised again part very well. And, and uh, Jesus said to Peter, well, get behind me, Satan. You're not setting interest on God. You're setting interest on man. This is the plan it's got to be. I've got to be crucified. I've got to die. And then I'll raise again. A few months later, just right before they're entering Jerusalem, unless they had forgotten. Same thing. Luke 18, verse 31. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. Right Here's the city. We're going up there. And all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished, for he will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. And was told to the disciples, was told to these women as well. I mean, that's the assumption here of verse six and seven, right? Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee? And these things were spoken to his disciples. You know, what was spoken to the disciples went beyond that, beyond the twelve, to the women, maybe even to the bigger crowds, even his close disciples he knew. But instead of putting these words together and seeing the empty tomb and saying, oh, he's risen. Instead, they were perplexed. Verse four, because the resurrection wasn't on their mind. It's like they had a mental block against that possibility. But but quickly. And I love this quickly. They put these things together. It says in verse eight that they remembered his words. Right? I think it's all it's all coming together fairly quickly. The empty tomb, the angel saying he's not here, he's risen, just like he said. And they believed. They believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. And then verse nine and ten, we see their faith in action. And they returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. 
And it defines who that they were. They were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and also the other women with them. So here we find even that there were more than just the three. And they were telling them these things to the apostles. So they're going back, reporting it to the twelve. And you can just picture the scene. How the, how the women were telling the story. And maybe one was talking and then the other interrupted about, yeah, we were going to the tomb with our spice and we're ready. And yeah, we we're worried about the stone rolled away. But when we got there, it was rolled away. And we looked in and there was nobody there. And we were puzzled. But then we saw these men and uh, these angels. And they said that, that he, was, he, he was raised just like he said. And, and he wrote, yeah, he, didn't Jesus tell us that he would be crucified? And then he raised from the dead. The words of Jesus came true. And I can just imagine the picture of the women in this excitement, just like mom be saying, he lives, he lives, he lives. And they're around him and they're just, just dancing around the disciples with joy. And I can picture the disciples going. You ever had that before where one person's like really excited, maybe in a family, and there's another that's not so excited? I don't think the disciples were amused at this. They were still sorrowing. They were still not very happy. And they observed their joy. And they observed their excitement. But the disciples didn't. In fact, look, verse 11. That's what it says. These words appeared to them as nonsense. And they would not believe them. So, so they didn't engage in the joy at all. They didn't engage in the happiness with them at all. <laughs> I think just how appropriate this is for us men. How slow we are to believe, right? We need our proof. Give me the proof. Show me. How is it? Well, that's what Peter felt because in verse 12, he said, okay, ladies, I'm going to go and see. And so he got up and he ran to the tomb. He was looking for the evidence. because I'm not going to believe unless I see the evidence. I'm a little bit like Thomas, right? I'm not going to believe unless I place my hands in his side, unless I see the wounds. Very interesting. The verse after that in John chapter 20 said, you believe because you see, blessed are those who believe even though they don't see which is who we are. And there's a blessing there. But Peter is going, running to the tomb, looking in it. He saw the linen wrappings only and went away to his home marveling at what had happened. Here's Peter off by himself. And it doesn't even say he believed at this point. You know, he push comes to shove. I don't think he believed. I think he's just still stirring it in his mind, marveling what, what had just happened as he saw the stone rolled away and he saw the tomb empty. Just thinking about it. Just thinking about it. Though the resurrection had taken place, Peter was unconvinced. He was dumbfounded. It was only later, I believe, that he would believe. It's going to take him a little bit of time, but Jesus would appear to him. And when Jesus appeared to him, he believed. Well, in verse 13, the scene shifts. It shifts from the empty tomb to the lonely road. And we see here the road to Emmaus. We meet two disciples along the way. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. Not a very far walk. Seven miles, isn't it? Uh, and they were talking with each other about these things which had taken place. Now, we don't know who these disciples were. Verse 18, we know that one of them's name was Cleopas. The name of the other is unknown, but we know that they weren't part of the eleven because they're going to go back and report to the eleven in verse 33. Just kind of giving you a little bit of a heads up. They're not Peter, James, John, Andrew, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thaddeus. They're not any of those. They're just two regular disciples of Jesus, not part of the twelve. Anyway, they're walking towards Emmaus and uh, they were talking 
and discussing about the things which had taken place. Well, what had taken place? Well, they talked about Jesus and all the things they did and all the things that he said. They talked about his trial because that had just taken place. And uh, Pilate tried to release them and yet him and declared him innocent. And the chief priest, though, because of envy, delivered them up and persuaded the crowds to say, crucify this Jesus. And they were talking on the way on how he was crucified, that, that he didn't deserve the cross. Why did he die as a criminal? They were talking about their own hopes and dreams of Jesus being the Messiah to rescue the Jews out of Roman tyranny. They're just anticipating this. Talking about, particularly though, one of the things they're talking about was their empty tomb. I'm gonna... It's well known to all. It's not, not really surprising that, that they were talking about these things because these events took place in Jerusalem and they're well known to all the people in Jerusalem. I mean, even from the earliest days of his ministry, the words about Jesus spread rapidly. And many were healed by his hands and thousands were fed by his words. Many heard him speak of the kingdom of God and were amazed. Crowds welcomed him into Jerusalem saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus didn't like enter sideways through the, the back door. No, he entered. Everybody knew about this Jesus. In Jerusalem, it says that all the people were hanging on to his every word he said. It's like all of Jerusalem just, just hanging on the words that he said. And, and, and there's Jesus coming in. And then there's also the drama of the religious leaders who knew full well that Jesus had entered the city. They tried to attack him for his authority. What authority are you doing this with? And, and they knew that the crowds were, were going on Jesus' side. And if the crowds were on Jesus' side, Jesus was against them, that that would be against us. So they need to get against the Jews. And they're seeking how they might put him to death. And they attacked him. And they tried to trick him in what they said. And, and all the crowds saw that in a public square trying to do that. And so Jesus enters Jerusalem. And then he got the, the, the Jewish leaders against Jesus. And this is all in the backdrop of the Roman occupation of Israel. The Romans had taken Israel and allowed them some self-rule, but ultimately it was the Romans who ruled over them. <clears throat> and they wanted out of it. They wanted freedom. And Jesus was a revolutionary who might be the one to, to deliver them. And so their, their hopes were in Jesus. And the, the stage was all set for this big confrontation as Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey and the crowds were on his side. A few days there's public debate in the public square. The religious leaders found their opening by a tip which Judas had given them. And they knew that he'd be in the Garden of Gethsemane that night. And so they took a mob of people with clubs and swords and went out to arrest Jesus. Took him under a hasty, unjust trial in the wee hours of the morning. And Jesus was put to death as a criminal upon the cross, even though he was declared innocent by Pontius Pilate. Now that in and of itself would have been enough to stir Jerusalem. The revolutionary coming to town, the religious leaders inciting the Romans to go ahead and kill him. But there was more. The empty tomb, I think, is probably a big part of their discussion that there was the body that was missing. I mean, bodies normally of criminals, they just don't go missing. Normally they're around. Nobody wants anything to do with a dead body and nobody wants anything to do with a dead body of a criminal. But yet here, they, they couldn't find the body. And, and so these disciples, it doesn't take rocket science to understand why these men are in deep discussion at all. And the drama deepens in verse 15. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus Himself approached and began traveling with them. 
I mean, it's easy to overcome those who are deep in conversation. Because when you're deep in conversation, you're not walking along, puffing along. You're kind of slow, maybe pausing a little bit, kind of making your point. And and Jesus, it would have been easy for him to come up right behind them. And the very one they were discussing about then comes up into their midst. Now, in the sovereignty of God, their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. From all they knew, he was a typical traveler going along that lonely road from Jerusalem to Ephesus with them. And Jesus said to them, verse 17, What are these words which you are exchanging with one another as you were walking? And that stopped them in their tracks. They're like, what kind of question is that? It says they stood still there in verse 27. Of course Jesus knew what they were talking about. This is a God question. That God often does. He asks questions so as to provoke a response, so as to reveal the guilt or doubt or lack of faith. That's what he's trying to do. And in verse 18, we see Cleopas' response. One of them named Cleopas answered and said, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which happened in these days? Have, are you the only one who's been off in your room, quiet someplace? I just yoing a yo-yo? Oblivious to what's going on? Everybody knows about this. Everyone knows about Jesus. And Jesus then continues his God question thing and says, well, what things? In verse 19. And then he says, Cleopas does the things they're talking about. This is how I know what they were talking about on the road. The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people. Right? They're talking about this Jesus who did these great things and, and how the chief priests... And our rulers, right, were fighting against him and they delivered him to the sentence of death and they crucified him. But we, in light of the Roman backdrop, were, were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. But also, some women were among us, amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and they did not find his body, they came saying that they'd also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb like Peter and found it just exactly as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And the sense here is the disciples were stumped. Here's a, here's a big question. You know, this is, this is the trade towers came down two days ago. I mean, this is September 13th. And we're trying to figure out, well, who was, who, who was flying the planes and who's behind the mastermind of this and how did it happen? How can they get past security? And this is a great disaster. Jesus says, what happened? <laughs> Everybody knows the trade centers fell down. Everybody knows what happened in Jerusalem. This is what took place. And they're trying to figure out how it was. Was Jesus dead? Where was the body? And like the women, they'd totally forgotten about the resurrection of Jesus. Though they'd been told by the women that he'd raised from the dead, they had another chance. They were thinking about the resurrection. How does the resurrection fit in there? And they still couldn't quite understand it. And then Jesus rebuked them. He said to them, verse 25, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? In other words, wasn't the death of the Messiah predicted? Didn't it have to take place? Didn't the Scriptures prophesy of it? And only after Messiah died was it that He would be promoted to glory? Isn't that the way it must have been? And they didn't understand it. And for not understanding it, Jesus called them fools. 
He called them slow of heart because they didn't believe in everything that the Scripture said. You know what? These disciples believed parts of the Scripture. They didn't believe all of Scripture. And I just say, church family, we need to be people who believe all of the Scripture. Not just part of the Scripture. Not just the parts we like. Not just the parts that are our favorite parts, but all the Scripture. And if we don't, we are fools and we are slow of heart to believe in these things. And then Jesus sets them right here in verse 27. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, He explained to them the things concerning Himself in all the Scriptures. And right there, Jesus begins to open up the Old Testament. Starting in Moses with the Pentateuch, and just working his way through the wisdom literature to the prophetic literature and explained about himself and showed these two disciples how it taught, the Scriptures taught, that Messiah was to suffer and then He was then to enter into His glory. Now this verse here, verse 27, is one of those monumental verses in Scripture. The books have been written about this. Literally, books have been written about this entitled Beginning with Moses. Several of them are out. And talking about how Jesus is the center point of all of history. How the Old Testament prophesies of Jesus and how the New Testament explains Jesus. That's how you put your Bible together. right? Mark Dever did it well. Promises made and promises kept. What are they made about? They're made about Jesus coming. And here on the road to Emmaus, Jesus took a few moments to tell them what was the case. A mini-sermon, if you will. And we don't know how long it was. But oh, for a tape recorder or an MP3 player or some kind of voice recorder to have gotten his message here. Now that we don't know his exact words, we can come pretty close to what he said. Maybe, maybe something like this. I'll just be real short for the sake of our time this morning. But he may have said, oh, gentlemen, gentlemen, you are right in thinking that he was the one who's going to come and redeem Israel. And you are right that He is the glorious Christ, this Jesus of Nazareth. Because He had all the credentials. He was born in the right place. He did all the miracles. He had all the right teachings. And yes, He was the Redeemer. But have you ever thought really what redemption means? Have you ever read Leviticus? Leviticus says that in order to redeem, you need to have a sacrifice. And all the sacrifices of the Old Testament were pictures and shadows pointing to the ultimate sacrifice of our Redeemer who will redeem us. And it required his suffering. Do you remember back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when, when God cursed the serpent? And he told him, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And he will strike you on the head, but you shall strike him on the heel. That obviously is talking about the suffering of the Messiah, that in order to conquer the serpent with a death wound on the head, you, O snake, will give him a flesh wound on the heel. Do you not remember that? Or do you remember in Psalm chapter 2 when it speaks about the anointed coming, how the kings of the earth took their stand against the rulers and against His anointed and against His Christ, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and they're going to make full-out war against the anointed. Do you remember that? It's just symbolizing, just anticipating a suffering coming. And then you remember what Isaiah spoke about our suffering servant, our Savior? When he said that he was despised and afflicted of man, of man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You remember what it says where he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. You remember what it says the chastisement for our well-being fell upon him. 
You remember where it says that his grave was assigned with wicked men and that he was cut off out of the land of the living? Do you remember all those things? I mean, all those things are picturing his death. He was despised and hated of men. They hated the Messiah. They didn't want anything to do with him. The light had come into the world, but they hated the light. And you remember, it says he was pierced through for our transgressions. Was Jesus pierced? Well, yes, he was right there upon the cross. This prophecy of the crucifixion was in Isaiah chapter 53. And it spoke about him being cut off out of the land of living. What does that mean? But that he was going to die. The Messiah had to die and his grave was assigned with wicked men. And wasn't that true? Remember Joseph of Arimathea? The rich man and Jesus was placed in his tomb exactly like Isaiah 53 had prophesied. Do you remember how, how those things took place? And do you remember even Jesus said and told us of how those things would take place? And remember when he came into Jerusalem just a week before he died and, and the Pharisees were questioning his authority? And so he told the story about the, the landowner who had, who had built a, a vineyard and then had gone away. And when it was time for him to receive the, the money from the produce of the field, he sent his servants so as to receive that from the workers. And what they do? They beat them. And, and then he finally said, well, if, if, if I send my son, they'll respect him. And what they do to the son? They killed him. And then, do you remember what Jesus quoted from the Psalms? He said, Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone. It was prophesied in the Old Testament that the Messiah would be rejected first and then he would become the chief cornerstone. And Jesus told us of that just five days ago. Do you remember? Or, or do you remember Psalm 22 when he's, he's there upon the cross? Maybe did you hear him? I know I heard him. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know that's from Psalm 22? He applied it to himself. Have you ever read Psalm 22? Psalm 22 has all about the sufferings of Jesus. It, it, it speaks about how his, his garments were divided up among the people. Didn't that happen to Jesus? It speaks about how he was pierced. His hands and his feet were pierced. It speaks about that. Psalm 22 speaks about how the, the chief priests wagged their heads at him and said, He trusts in God. Let him deliver him. That's exactly what the chief priests and the elders said. Did you hear that? I was there at the cross. I, I heard them say that. I also talked about how even his bones, he can count all his bones. You know how they crucify people. When it's time to die, they break for their They didn't break Jesus' legs because he was dead. He can count all of his bones. I mean, all the prophets speak of his suffering and his death. Yes, that was going to take place, O oh foolish men and slow of heart. But do you remember what comes after that? Yes, the glory comes after that. He is the Son born to us. He is the one upon whom the, the government will rest upon His shoulders. And the increase of His government will be no more. He'll be the wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Priests. Yes, it's through Abraham that all the families of the earth indeed are going to be blessed. And the glories of His kingdom will endure. He will sit upon the throne of David forever. 2 Samuel chapter 7 Oh men, do you understand those things? You need to believe all the Scriptures. And he would have said something like that. I, I'm not sure. But he probably would have concluded though with, with this from Psalm 16. He said, do you remember what David wrote in Psalm 16? He said, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol 
and you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Think about it. The Holy One, the Messiah, would not be allowed to undergo decay. God would not abandon Him in the tomb. I mean, just three or four days. Remember when Lazarus rose from the day? feared he was going to stink. The Messiah had to raise before then. In a short time, they did. The body of David is here today. Maybe you've gone on a field trip to see it. I know all the children classes do. They see it. I saw it. But the tomb of the Messiah was nowhere going to be because he had to be raised from the dead. Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, is alive. He's alive. He's alive. Oh, foolish man of slow heart to believe in all the scriptures. He would have said something like that. If, if he would have spoke longer or if he would have tried to draw it out of them or maybe ask them questions, it could have taken a long time. But, but anyway, they talked along the way and Jesus pulled some of these Old Testament scriptures. I've only pulled a few that could have been spoken about about Jesus. Then they reached their journey's end. Verse 28, and that stopped his sermon. And they approached the village where they were going. And he acted as if he were going further, but they urged him saying, stay with us. For it is getting toward evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. I think at this point the disciples were intrigued by this man who was speaking to them. It seemed like he had all the answers and seemed like he was right on on everything that was taking place. It seemed like he had a mastery of the Scripture which they didn't have. And they wanted, so they invited him in. And I'm sure that they wanted to continue to talk about these things. In fact, in verse 32, later we'll see that they talk about their own testimony. It was that their hearts were burning when he was speaking to us on the road. Like, these things are true. Yeah, they're true. And their, their hearts were like, yes, that's right, that's right. And then the journey's ending. And you, no, 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 you come stay with us. Tell us more, please. And that's what we see in verse 30 to 53. After the empty tomb and the lonely road, we see the revealed Christ. Because it's here within the home that Jesus begins to reveal who He really is. You're just going to start seeing the the layers to the onion kind of peeled more and more. And they're going to see and recognize and embrace this Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Verse 30, when He had reclined at table with them, He took the bread and blessed it and breaking it, he began giving it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. (laughs) Through some divine means, they had been prohibited from recognizing Jesus along the way. And now again, we see God opening their eyes. I want you to notice here the verbs in the passive voice. Their eyes were opened. They didn't open their own eyes. It was God who was opening their eyes. Because they're being opened by someone else. And it was God sovereignly saying, okay, now's the time when you can see me. Now's the time I'm going to let you see that I am really Jesus. And oh, how we need that this morning. We think about the resurrection. We say, yes, God, I want to, I want to believe it. I want to see it. Well, God needs to open our eyes and our minds so that we see the glories of the resurrection as well. And as He does that, it changes our life. Somehow, it was through the breaking of the bread, though, that they began to see that reality. And, and some have tried to debate and figure out whether it's when He passed the bread out and He extended His arm, they saw, oh, He's got the nail prints right there in His hand. Maybe that was it. Or maybe it was the way that He addressed His heavenly fathers. He prayed to God. Maybe that was what it does. 
If you push me, I, I would bet. Suggest to, to, to guess, but I would bet it's when Jesus took the bread. He said, "This is my body broken for you." And they started thinking back. That's what Jesus said at the Last Supper. That's what the disciples have been telling us. This is Jesus. He's blessing this. That's him. And as it says here, even at that moment, things started to come together. And I think they began to see and they began to believe. And, and it, verse 31 says he vanished from their sight. How oh, like God this is. You know, God could have made a world in which his presence was totally obvious to everybody. And that everybody would believe. He could have created a world that way. But what has he done? He's created a world in which he is the invisible God. And he calls us to faith in him. And Jesus there could have opened, opened their eyes totally. He could have given himself more proof than at that time. And said, okay, here I am. Touch me. But he vanished from their sight because that's going to be a later time. So like God, this is. How, how he vanished, I'm not sure. Somehow he was no longer there. Maybe it was miraculous. Maybe he just went through the wall and left. Maybe these disciples are so excited. He lives! He lives! And when they were jumping around like Mombi, maybe he just kind of slipped out the side door and said, it's a good time for me to leave. I'm not sure. But at any rate, when he left, they began to talk with one another about what had taken place in verse 32. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us. You know, there's something within the hearts of these disciples that, that resonated with God's word. Though, though Jesus had prophesied of his death before them, they never really embraced the reality of his death. Though Jesus had told them of the resurrection, they never really embraced it. But now with open eyes, because the scriptures were opened. If you look there in verse 32, he was explaining the scriptures. Literally what he's doing is he was opening the scriptures to them. And with the open scriptures, with their open eyes, they began seeing and believing in the raised Messiah. Yes, Jesus came and yes, he was the Messiah, but he had to suffer first and then he would enter his glory. Now I see it. Now I see how all the prophecies can be fulfilled. The prophets used to search and make inquiries how it was that the sufferings of Christ would take first and then the glories to follow. And now we understand the scriptures have been opened to us. I understand how the crucifixion was necessary and we understand how the, the resurrection was equally as necessary as was the crucifixion. And then we read what took place next in verse 33. At that very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. So it didn't matter that it was dark, dangerous to travel by night, hard to travel by night. They're going to travel those seven miles back to Jerusalem to meet with the disciples and they began to relate how their experience on the road, right? Everything that Jesus said, now their hearts are burning. And once they got in the house, then how it was recognized in them, by them, in the breaking of the bread. See, there was, it was in the process of breaking of the bread that they then began to recognize Jesus. And they were coming back to the disciples and telling them, Jesus, he lives, he lives, he lives. And in fact, somehow, even also they knew in verse 34 that it says, that the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. So, some, I'm sorry, verse 33. They got up, that very returned to Jerusalem, found gathered together the eleven, those with him, and saying, the Lord has really risen, has appeared to Simon. So even Peter at this time had seen and they saw that. So they're all, they're all relating, relating, relating their experiences together. Verse 35 says, and they're talking about all these types of things. They're all together. And they're, they're thinking, he's appeared to Peter, he appeared to us, 
He really is alive. And then verse 36, we see continuing Jesus continue to reveal himself. While they were telling these things, right? So this great reunion was there. All the disciples were there. They're thinking about it, talking about it. He himself stood in their midst. Now again, is this miraculous or not? We don't know. When they walked through the door, maybe. Hello? Maybe went through the walls, as some say, with a spiritual body. We don't know. But somehow, he was right there with the disciples. And while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst, verse 36, and said to them, Peace be with you. These are frantic, probably. They need to calm down a little bit. Peace be with you. It's okay, I'm here. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. It's, just, it's right here, I think, that Jesus then shows them, no, I'm not a spirit. You're not seeing some apparition. You're not hallucinating. It really is Jesus. Your heart may be filled with unbelief now, but, but it is me. It is I. In fact, look at, look at how he's revealing himself. Now's the time where he's going to really show himself. They're going to be able to touch him. They're going to see that he has a body. And that's the whole point of this. So when Jesus raised from the dead, it wasn't some spiritual vision. It wasn't something they just thought Jesus raised. It wasn't, it wasn't something that they just imagined. No, it was Jesus himself. He said in verse 36, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arouse in your heart? Why don't you believe? Here I am. See my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. Right? Maybe clapped his hands. You know, maybe knocked his chest. I'm here. This is me. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Maybe knocked on wood. Maybe stamped on the floor. I'm flesh. I'm here. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, right where he had been pierced. And while they still could not believe it, isn't it amazing? They still could not believe it. Here he is standing there. He's, he's marching around. He's telling them. He's beating them. I'm here. This is me. They, they couldn't believe it. Such is the weakness of our faith in the flesh. He tried another tack. He said they couldn't believe it because of their joy and amazement. It's kind of like, is it, can it really be? <laughs> He said to them, you have anything to eat? Maybe if I eat something, I'll pull a stunt, okay? I'll, I'll eat something. A spirit can't eat something. He gave them a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them. I think he was doing everything he could to reveal himself to the disciples. He was really risen from the dead. His body, which was dead, was now raised. The same molecules, the same bones, the same mouth, the same skull, the same head. It's now raised from the dead. The same wounds which I have. He wasn't a spirit. They're not just going to touch through him. No, they're going to touch him. He was alive corporally. He could eat. He didn't need anything to eat. I think at that moment he could have fasted a little bit longer. He, he could have gone without eating. But he said, no, let me eat to show you that I can really eat. And it's a clear lesson for us. Jesus Christ rose from the dead bodily. His body came to life again. And then he continued to teach them of himself in the scriptures. And again, this is further revelation. Not only was this a revelation, he was alive. Now he's going to teach them further in their Bible study. But this time it's more of an in-depth study because they had some more time now. They weren't on the road getting to the house, cutting them off. They could have stayed for a while here. Verse 44, Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets 
and the Psalms must be fulfilled. I've talked to you about this. I've told you about this. They all must be fulfilled in me. And then verse 45 says, He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Jesus had opened their eyes to recognize Him. And now He'd opened their minds to understand Him. You know, really, when you think about the Scriptures, um, the key to understanding the Scriptures is to understand the talk of Jesus. That is what the Scriptures speak about. In fact, it's even in John chapter 5 where He's talking with the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, you search the Scriptures because you think in them they have eternal life. But it's they that speak of Me. And that's where the true life comes from. The true, true life doesn't come from words. The true life comes from the Spirit to which the words attest. Right? The reality is, it's not the Scriptures that save us. The Scriptures give us the wisdom that leads to salvation, which is through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. And the Scriptures point us to the reality of Jesus in flesh and blood who saves us. And that's what he's talking about. He's, he's, he just said, he's, you, you know the Scriptures very well, but you've missed their meaning. But they speak of me. And that's what he's talking about here. He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures because they spoke of him. And again, we see the, the sovereign hand of God working in the hearts of the disciples. It's not that they said, Duh, yeah, now I understand. Now we're smart enough. No, rather it's that, that Jesus worked upon their hearts and minds so that they would understand. It's Jesus here who opened their minds to understand the Scripture. And I just tell you, we need this illuminating power of God on our lives. Don't ever think that you can say, okay, I'm just going to figure out the Bible. I'm just going to figure it out by being smart enough myself. No. Whenever we go to read the Bible, always just pray to God. Say, God, I need you. And... Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not on Facebook a lot, but I, just so you know, I, I stalk you all on Facebook is what I do. Um, but I'm out there a little bit. But anyway, this is one of my friends from high school, non-believer. He wrote this, and I'm not sure whether it's Good Friday that led in this or, or what. I, I'm not sure. I kind of, I don't know. He said this, my young son asked me what happens after we die. I told him we get buried under a bunch of dirt and worms eat our bodies. He says, I guess I should have told him the truth that most of us go to hell and burn eternally, but I didn't want to upset him. Now, it's interesting about that. It's made many things absolutely true about that, but it was kind of said in jest. Well, I just told him we go to the ground and we just get eaten by worms. I didn't want to tell him about hell where we all go. And uh, more than a dozen people like this one commented, LOL, which means, what does it mean? Oh, laughing out loud, okay. I'm learning that stuff. Actually, i got my translators right here. Another one said, that's funny. There's an app for that. And they responded in the spirit, I think, of everything that he was trying to say. Just kind of making a mockery of hell. Like, oh yeah, well, most of us all, we will go to hell and that's where we are. Like, do you realize the terrors of what you just said? And so, though I stalked most of the time, I felt compelled to comment. I, I commented this. I said, tell your son about Jesus. He died so that we might live eternally in His presence. We simply need to trust Him. Read John 3, 1-21. through 21. 
I've not got any response from that. I, I don't know. You, you just got to be careful putting out Christian stuff. So it can be taken all different types of ways. But I just felt compelled. i got to respond to this. Don't tell them that we're just all going to hell. That's a bad message. It's a terrible message. Rather, tell them the great message of Resurrection Sunday that Jesus, yes, died but was raised so that we too might live eternally in heaven in glory with Him where there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16, verse 11. But it only comes through repentance and faith. According to verse 47. So it requires of us to turn from our sins and to trust Jesus. Have you done that this morning? Are you trusting in Jesus? Are you believing in all the Scripture? Or just some that you like or want to make up your own mind? I just call you just to believe in the risen Christ. He's your only hope in this life. Our life is done so fast. We are a drop in the bucket. We are a vapor. We are here today and we are gone tomorrow. We are just a, a vain, short life. Believe in Christ so your life will be filled with pleasures forevermore. Because He's not a dead Savior. He's a Savior who's risen from the dead and He's ascended to heaven and He's sitting at His right hand until God the Father makes, an enemy as a foot, makes His enemies a footstool for His feet. And we'll get to that next week as we talk about Hebrews chapter 12. But His ascension is the point of the last four verses of our text this morning. It says in verse 50, And He led them out as far as Bethany, and He lifted up His hand and He blessed them. And while He was blessing them, He part, departed from them and was carried up into heaven. He ascended. And they, after worshiping, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. Well, that's my heart for you this morning. I want us to leave this place with great joy. Rejoicing continually, praising God. Why? It's because Jesus, everything who He was, and there's a gap here. There are 40 years it took place. You can read about it in Acts chapter 1. There's 40 years of teaching and being with the resurrected Jesus, and then He was taken up, and they were just convinced at this point the resurrection had changed their lives. They'd rocked their world, and then they went on to turn the whole world upside down in preaching the glorious message of the Gospel of Christ, a risen Savior. And I say, may we do the same, leaving this place saying, He lives, He lives, He lives. Let's pray. Father, I pray that You would stir us with this message of the risen Jesus. Thank You that we live now when we do. That even we stand in the advantage of the disciples. The disciples had to sort all this out in short order. And took them several years then the epistles being written to try to understand fully this Jesus. Now we've got it all before us and we can look back and see the resurrected Christ and see how His resurrection fits into our life and see how His resurrection fits into our salvation, our justification and gives us a, a living hope God, that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead because we have an internal inheritance that we are awaiting. God, we have something far more joyful than just being eaten by worms in the ground. Or a body may be eaten by worms. God, but our spirit, when we die, will be with You. And we await today, Lord, Your return. We desire that the living Christ, O oh Jesus, come quickly. And yet, if You would tarry and if You would wait and we pass away, uh, we look forward to that time because You're the risen One. And by faith, we will be with you as well. God, stir in our hearts like you stirred in the hearts of these disciples. Open our hearts and our minds to understand the glories of the gospel. Open our eyes to see you. 
this Easter morning. God, that we'd be changed people to turn Rockford and Love's Park upside down with our faith. And we can only do that by Your power. We can only do that by Your working in our hearts. And we, we do look to You and plead to You that You would work in us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.